So as we read earlier, we've come to the story of the cross, and it's a story that many, if not most of us, have heard before, but um, we don't want to assume anyone knows because I believe that the story of the cross is the greatest story of all scripture, if not all man, of all time. Uh, no pressure on me today. And so with that, we're going to pray. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you, and as we open your word to read about the sacrifice of your son, the sacrifice that we just remembered through communion, God, we pray that you would just open our hearts, that you would show us a new uh, love and passion for this sacrifice, God. Just speak to us now. In your name we pray. Amen. So how many in here have watched any of the Olympics in the last few weeks? Yeah, I, I, I assume you would. Uh, the Olympics are everywhere, right? They're on the news. They're live. They're replayed. They're in the papers. They're there, there's stories about not just what happens, but the bad things that happens and the good things that happens. It, the, the Olympics are everywhere. They're a big story. And many of us have probably relayed stories about the Olympics to other people. Uh, I know I've talked to other people about, you know, did you see the race when this happened and they, they got ahead and they finally won? Or maybe you Maybe you've talked to people about Michael Phelps and all the gold medals. He's up to 23 gold medals, uh, you know, in his last relay race that he ran, or that he, he swam, he didn't run. It'd be interesting to see him try and run. But uh, we tell the stories of these great things that have happened because we hear about them. We hear about them through the news and we see them on TV. And the reason they're so compelling to us partly is because of the way that stories are told to us. Uh, journalists are taught a very specific formula about how to tell a story and it has to have six parts if it's going to be a complete story, and they call it the five W's and the one H. You probably know the five W's and the one H, even if you don't realize it. It's the who, what, when, where, why, and how. And if you know the who, what, when, where, why, and how, you know the whole story. And a good story will tell itself if you know those six parts. And so as we come to the cross today, I believe it's the greatest story of all time. And I want to remind us and remember the who, what, when, where, why, how of the cross so that we can tell the story. Because I believe if we know that, the story will tell itself. So we're going to start off today with the who. Who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the son of Mary. He was the son of Mary. He also had an earthly father, Joseph. Joseph was a carpenter. And we believe Jesus was the Son of God. And that's what the Bible tells us. It tells us a lot of other things. But I want to step outside of Scripture for a minute and see what history tells us about Jesus. Because the truth is, first off, Jesus was a real man. He was a real man, not just a character in a book. Cornelius Tacitus is regarded as one of the most accurate historians of that era. And he lived from A.D. 55 to 120. And here's what Cornelius Tacitus says. He, he talks about Nero. He says, Nero inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class called Christians. Christus, or Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus. 
So he didn't live very long after Jesus died, and here he is recalling what happened with Jesus. Another historian, Flavius Josephus, was a Jewish historian who lived a little bit earlier, AD 38 through 100. He said, we learn that Jesus was a wise man who did surprising feats, taught many, won over followers from among the Jews and the Greeks, was believed to be the Messiah, was accused by the Jewish leaders, was condemned to be crucified by Pilate, and was considered to be resurrected. Two historians, not part of the Bible, but historians that are respected worldwide for their accurate accounts of what happened in history, both talking about a man named Jesus who was crucified by, who was ordered to be crucified by Pilate. So there's no doubt here that Jesus was a real man. The other thing I want to talk about Jesus, who was Jesus? He was also an innocent man. He was an innocent man. In fact, Pilate testifies to Jesus' own innocence in John chapter 19, verse 4. And he says, once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. So he was innocent. Pilate says, look, I can't find anything to charge against the guy. He's innocent. But Pilate's just talking about the charge of the day. You see, there's been people all throughout time that have been executed for crimes they didn't commit. This isn't unique for a man to die for a crime that he didn't commit. But Jesus is different because it's not just that Jesus is innocent of the crime of this day. Jesus is innocent of the crime of all time. Because no one could bring a testimony against Jesus on that day. No one could stand up and say, you know, there was this one time that Jesus and I were hanging out and he told me a little lie about something. Or we were playing a game and he kind of bent the rules so that he could win. Nobody could, could bring these against Jesus because he was innocent of all crime. First Peter 2.22 says he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He had never committed a sin, right? So he's the only truly innocent man to ever die. The others had all been guilty of other sins and other wrongs, but Jesus had been guilty of none of them. So that's who Jesus was. But what, what took place on that day? What took place on this day of the crucifixion? Well, a lot of things took place on that day. I don't know about you, but I've had some bad days. I'm assuming that you've had some bad days in your life. If you think back on those bad days, maybe it's the loss of someone you loved or when someone was very sick or just some really bad things happened to you at work, you think back to those bad days, I'm pretty sure none of them come close to what happened to Jesus on this day. You see, a lot happened. First off, Jesus was accused on that day. He was accused. John chapter 18, verse 19 through 23 says, Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret, so why ask me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is that the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I speak the truth, why did you strike me? So here's Jesus being accused. 
as we just talked about, he's innocent. He's being accused of crimes he didn't commit. I've been accused of things before, and it's bad enough when you've done them. It's even worse when it's a crime you haven't committed. So he's accused, but at the same time, Jesus was being denied. Because while Jesus is being accused inside the courts, outside in the courtyard, Peter is denying Christ, as Jesus had foretold. In John 18, verse 17, Jesus, uh, Peter is approached and he says, you are one of this man's disciples too, aren't you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. And then further on in verse 25, they come back to Peter. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it again, saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. See, you remember people who cut off the ears of your relatives. So she says, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. So Jesus had been accused, he'd been denied, and then Jesus was beaten. Now, this isn't a schoolyard beating. This isn't the kind of beating that you've experienced in your life. This isn't being punched or kicked. You see, it says in John 19, verses 1 and 2, that then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And then the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. I'm sure you, you've probably heard before the stories about the way that they flogged Jesus. This wasn't just a, a regular whip. This was a, a strand of, many strands of, of leather that had been woven together, braided together. And in between the braids would be pieces of bone and pieces of pottery. So that whenever they laid it down across their back, it would dig in and then they would yank it back and pull entire pieces of flesh. This is a, a beating that none of us can imagine. Um, something that, that, thank goodness, we don't see in this time. So Jesus had this horrendous, gruesome beating. And then, right after that, Jesus was mocked. See, after they put the crown of thorns on his head, verse 3 says, they clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and slapped him in the face. So they mocked him. They put a crown on his head. They put a robe around him and they mocked, they mocked him as king because he had claimed to be the King of the Jews, but they didn't believe it. And after he was beaten and mocked, he was crucified Verses 16 through 18, finally Pilate handed him over them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus, and carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. So Jesus was crucified, right? He was, he was hung on a tree to die. This is, this is, not, this is not a good day. And then after he was hung on the tree, he died. John 19.30 says, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So this is a bad day. This is the terrible day. It's the worst day for Jesus. He was accused. He was denied. He was beaten. He was crucified. He died. 
It's the worst day that Jesus had. But the truth is, while any of us have had bad days, the pain and the torment that he went through is more than we can imagine. But the truth is, his worst day is our best day because of what he went through. So that's what happened on that day. But when did it happen? When did this happen? If you'll remember back before, the night, the night before Jesus was crucified, he was in the upper room with his disciples, and they were enjoying a feast. They were enjoying the Passover meal. Because this is happening during the time of the Jewish celebration of Passover. And Jesus dies during Passover. In fact, he dies at 3 o'clock. Luke chapter, 20, chapter 23 and verse 44, it talks about this. It says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. So it says he, he died at three, and from noon to three, darkness covered the land. So why, why is that important? What's happening from noon to three? Why, why is it important, this timeline between noon and three? Well, during the celebration of the Passover, from noon to three, this is when all of the Jews would be taking their sacrificial lambs to the temple so that they could be sacrificed. So from noon to three, inside the temple, they're sacrificing all these lambs and they're laying them on the altar. And at three o'clock, all the sacrifices had to be in. And at three o'clock, Jesus dies, and the veil is torn open, and Jesus is included with the lambs. He's included with all the insignificant animal offerings that have been brought for the temple for the Passover. He's included as the true Passover lamb because he died at the precise moment that the sacrifices were due. Jesus was the true Passover lamb, and he was foretold by John the Baptist. Back at the beginning of John, when we first saw Jesus come onto the scene, in John 1.29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John said it. The, the moment Jesus walks on the scene, the first one to address him, John says, Look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's already told us what's going to happen, yet... We're still surprised when it, when it happens. Jesus was the true Passover lamb because he died at the moment the sacrifices were due for Passover. So we know when he died, but it's important also to talk about where he died. It's important to talk about where he died. We talked a minute ago that he was crucified at a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. But John 19, 9 through 20 says that Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, King of Nazareth, sorry, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So we can see here from these verses that the place Jesus was crucified was near the city, it was public. People were seeing it. The religious leaders didn't like that they were seeing it. And the, people, the reason people were seeing it is because it was at a place people crossed by. They passed by often because Jesus died in a very public place. See, Jesus didn't die in a small execution chamber somewhere. He didn't die off in a wilderness or somewhere where no one was around. He died in public. He died for all to see. 
This is something that God didn't want anyone to miss. In fact, if you think about it, as we talked about a minute ago with the Passover, many of the Jews would have been passing by Jesus on their way into the city as they went by to go to the temple to take their lambs so that they could be sacrificed. They pass by the true lamb. John 12, 32, Jesus had foretold how this was going to happen. He had foretold how he was going to die. He foretold the place. It says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When I'm lifted up from the earth, Jesus is foretelling the type of death he would have. See, because when he was crucified, he was raised up in the air. He was lifted up from the earth. And he was in a place where he could draw all people to himself because everyone could see it because God wanted this to be a public thing. This wasn't a private This wasn't a private thing. This was something for everyone in the world because Jesus was crucified for all mankind. So why did it have to happen? Why did it have to happen? Well, in order to kind of understand the idea of, of Jesus having to die for our sins, we have to go back to the book of Leviticus, a book that many of us don't spend a lot of time in because it's got a lot of very, very specific explanations of rituals and things that had to be done during the Old Testament. But in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 16, we have an explanation of a ceremony called the Day of Atonement. And in in the Day of Atonement, there's this this explanation of how Aaron, Moses' brother, is supposed to go into the temple and present these animals as sacrifices. And so he would enter into the temple, he would kill the animals, and he would take the blood of the animal and he would smear the blood of the animal across the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember back, what's inside the Ark of the Covenant? The law, the the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments is inside the Ark of the Covenant. So this is the law by which the, the, the people of God have sinned. So at the moment that God looks down from heaven, to go, when he looks down to look at the Ark of the Covenant to see the law, instead of seeing the law, he sees the blood, of the, the blood of the sacrificial animals smeared on top. He sees the sacrifice that's been offered on behalf of the people to repent of their sins. And when he sees the blood that's been presented there, he doesn't see past it to the law. He sees the sacrifice and he forgives the people. But as the Day of Atonement is the sacrifice of animals, they had to do it every year. Every year they would present these sacrifices. So the difference here is when Jesus was presented, he was crucified and he died and his blood was presented before God. So that when God looked down on Passover day, it's a different, different festival, but it's the same idea. When he looks down, he doesn't even have to see the sacrificial animals that have been brought. Because between God And the sacrificial animals in the temple, his son is there for all to see with his blood presented as an atoning sacrifice because God in his mercy used his own son. It's important to understand that Jesus had to be, he had to be perfect. He had to choose of his own will to die in order to be the perfect atonement. And because he chose of his own will and he lived the perfect life, he could be the atonement once and for all. There was no need for any more sacrifices. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus died a death and the punishment that we deserved. But because he took the punishment, it brought us peace. Because our iniquities were laid upon him, it brought us peace. It brought us a right relationship with God. So we've talked about the who. We've talked about the when, the what, the where, the why. But we have to talk about the how. And most of you have talked about and heard about how Jesus died, but we can't talk about the story of the crucifixion without remembering how he died. Because as believers, we have to remember the sacrifice that he went, to, went through. So how did he die? Well, we've already said it. He was crucified. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that he was crucified? Well, it's not just that he was put out and nailed on a tree and then he just died. There's, there's much more to it, and you know that. See, they took him, and they, they would stretch one arm out to the side, and they would nail an arm to the tree, and they would nail an arm to, to the wooden beam, and they would put the, the nail between his, his, his bones and his wrist, and then they would stretch his other arm out to the other side, and they would stretch it out as tight as they could, as tight as they could, and they would nail, an arm, nail the other arm in. And then they would take his legs, and they would push his legs up and bend them, and they would nail them underneath him. See, on a cross, you don't die because of blood loss. It's not that the, the wounds that they put into you are going to cause you to bleed to death. But by stretching your arms out wide and then putting you on a tree and, nail, and letting you go up into the air and fall down, you sag down and, and you can't breathe. You struggle to breathe. And so the only way to breathe is to push up so you can take a breath. But in order to push up, you have to put all the weight of your body into the nail that's in your feet. It's a terrible form of death because the way that you die in crucifixion is by suffocation because as you push up, the excruciating pain is so much, you get a small breath and then you fall back down and each time you want a breath, you remember how much it's going to hurt and your, your, your lungs begin to fill with fluid and every breath you take has less and less effect and eventually you suffocate. I know that when I've been swimming and, and you get a little bit of water in you, that little bit of panic you have, it, it's the most fearful panic that you can have. They say that, that, that suffocation or drowning is one of, the, one of the worst ways to die, one of the scariest ways to die. So on a cross, here you are for all to see, suffocating in slow motion for everyone. Sometimes uh, they didn't die fast enough. And in the case of uh, John 19, we, we see what happened here in verse 31. It says, now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. So they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the body taken down. See, they have a party to go to the next day, and they don't want these people out here. So the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man that had been crucified with Jesus, then the ones of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So they would break the legs because if they break the legs, you can't push up anymore and then you suffocate. And then, the, then you die quickly, relatively quick. But they didn't have to break Jesus' legs. We have to know that because we talked about a minute ago the atonement. And in order for Jesus to be the atonement, to be the perfect lamb, no bone could be broken. Because if a bone was broken, it couldn't be a sacrificial lamb. So they didn't break Jesus' legs. 
He'd already died. And Psalms 34.20 actually foretells what's going to happen here. In Psalm 34.20, it says, He protects all his bones, and not one of them would be broken. Not one of them would be broken. Jesus dies in a gruesome death, unimaginable pain. It's the greatest sacrificial story in all of history, and it's done out of love for you and me. God set this plan into motion at the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden. And he, he carries out his, his redemption out of grace and love for us. He carries it out using his own son as a sacrifice. So you have the pieces of the story. You have the five W's and the H. You have the who, what, when, where, why, and how. So there's no reason we can't tell the story. And there's nothing to be added to it. There's, there's other parts of it. There's other things you could dig into, but you have enough to understand what happened here that day. You have enough to share the story of what happened that day. But before we go, I want to ask you a couple of questions. First off, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Have you allowed him to be your atoning sacrifice? Have you trusted in him as your savior, as being the perfect lamb What are you letting stand in the way of spreading the gospel? What are you letting stand in, in your way? It, it, is, it, is it your comfort? Is it, is it fear of, of people rejecting you because you don't want to talk about what's happened and then them not like it? And you, it's the greatest story of all time. What, what are you letting stand in the way of spreading the gospel? What are we letting stand in our way as a church is spreading the gospel? Are we, are we worried about traditions? Are we worried about the way things have been? If it's the greatest story of all time, we should tell it in every way possible because whoever hears it and whoever believes in it is going to be saved, right? So don't let anything stand in our way. When are, when are we going to take the gospel seriously? Each of us, when are we going to take it seriously? Because I know that our lives get busy and we have things to do and, and you know, we have kids to take around or, or work to go to or church activities to go to. But the time to share the gospel is all the time. So we always have to take the gospel seriously. The next question is, where will you share about him? Where will we share about him? Where will we share about him? Will we, will we just do it here in church in the safe place? Will we, will we expect the church to be the part, that, the, the only place that shares the story of Jesus' crucifixion? Because Jesus didn't die inside of a building. He didn't die for a small audience to see. He died in public for all to see because it's a story that God wants for all mankind to know about. So we can't just share about Jesus here. We have to share about Jesus everywhere. So, why, aren't, why isn't the world sharing this story any louder than any other? Why isn't the world talking about this story more than any other story? If it's the greatest story of all time, it's the greatest story of sacrifice, why isn't it being talked about? Every day on the news, shouldn't they be, yes, Michael Phelps won another medal, but did you remember what Jesus did on that cross? Because it's the greatest story, and it hasn't, nothing, nothing has been greater than it since then. The world may not, but we have to continue to tell the story. 
Can we talk about other things? Yes, we can talk about other things, but we've got to remember to pull everything back to the cross. We've got to remember to point back because it's the greatest story. So we have to share it louder than any other story out there. Finally, I want to ask you, how is your life going to be different because of his sacrifice? How is your life going to be different because of his sacrifice? When you leave here today, you've heard most of these things before, but you remember today as a believer what your Savior has done for you. How are you going to be different? How are you going to go home and talk to your family differently? How are you going to go to work tomorrow differently? How are you going to spend your time in prayer differently? Because if it's the greatest story, we should be different because of it, and we should be different every day because of it. How are we going to be different because of his sacrifice? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you now um, remembering the story of your son's sacrifice. There's so much to it. The more and more that we see, the more and more we know that you loved us, the more and more that we know that it's only because of your son that we can have a relationship with you. Lord, we pray that as we go from this place that we would not be ashamed to share the story, the greatest story of sacrifice of all time, that we would not be afraid to share it, that we would be bold, that we would share it in public places, and that we would be different. We would be different because we remember your sacrifice. In your name we pray, amen.